Warning. This episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. that did make it. I'm Hillary B. Bisniecz. Listeners, I'm super excited today to introduce my guest. Uh, John Apple has been a friend of mine for, gosh, coming on like five years now? Something Something, like that? Something like that. 2017, I think. Yeah. Uh, We have uh, been in the writing trenches for a good long while, and... uh, John was my editor for Skies of Wonder. Anyway, John Apple, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm going to quick correction. It's Appel. Appel. Thank yeah. you. I <laughs> I knew that. And and yet. Yeah, it's okay. I've been called far worse. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Hillary. This is great. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you were in the Airborne, so I imagine that you would have been called far worse. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and... Far worse in other circumstances of my life, too. So, <laughs> uh, Well, we are here for kindness and calling each other good things. Yes. So let us uh, leave that behind. Uh, John, you are here today to promote your debut novel, Assassin's Orbit. Is that correct? That is correct, and it's so exciting. I, am, I have been watching the progress of this novel for, yeah, however long we've been friends, pretty much. And yeah, I'm super I was, I was, excited that it's coming out now. I, I was uh, working on bits of it, I think, probably when we met, although I was working on the book prior to this that got trunked, um, but may may surface at some point, because it's in the same <laughs> universe, and um, we'll see what happens. But yeah. the, uh, yeah, so like, yeah, I started writing this one seriously in 2017, so yeah, and then... Uh, it's uh, finally, you know, we made we made the deal last year and uh, comes out in July. That is fantastic. That is uh, July twenty, 20- Ju- July twentieth in the U.S. and July twenty second right. uh, in the U.K. Uh, Rebellion is the publisher. They're U.K. based. Uh, they've been taking really great care of me. Um, yeah, so the book comes out two days before my fifty seventh birthday, and on my fifty seventh birthday in the U.K. So happy birthday to me! Happy birthday to you, John. Uh, so, uh, is there anything that we need to set up before we get into the excerpt? Uh, so the book is set in kind of, uh, what I call medium forest future. Mm -hmm. It's in a, uh, what's called the exile cluster. The people call it that. And it's, uh, people who got away from something really bad that happened on earth. Uh, and, uh, the people who got off are mostly from countries around the equator because they were the ones who were able to get up the space elevators when the bad things happened. Mm-hmm. So uh, it starts with a a murder and things kind of spiral from there. We love to see it. Yeah, that's uh, uh, it, it, that's one of the things I've been very uh, happy with uh, the reviews that I've seen from people who've read it on NetGalley and, and uh, some of the others that, you know, they, it starts out and 
the comp the, the layering of the complications um, mm-hmm. seems to have worked the way I intended. So it's been pretty happy. Excellent. All right. Well, I am ready when you are. All right. So this is Assassin's Orbit Chapter One. New, who is the viewpoint character that we're seeing in this. Second Landing Social Club, Alary Station, North Ring. This isn't a crime scene, Daniel. It's a slaughterhouse. Hmm. Forty years as a private investigator on Alary Station hadn't prepared New Okareki for the carnage around her. She'd attended to killings before, if rarely, but tonight marked her first mass murder. She was glad to see it only through virtual reality. Her translucent, telepresent figure knelt by one of the bodies, a young man she'd known for his entire life. Inside the blood-spattered room, the hovering bot serving as her proxy dropped to the level of her virtual head. She forced herself to examine the holes punched through the young man's torso, from the front, the detached investigator within her noted. His head lay facing toward her, eyes still open, face slack. Next to his right hand lay his stunner he'd managed to draw, at least, before being cut down. Other constabulary bots ranged around the luxuriously appointed room, cataloging the plentiful evidence. The bots were the only things moving. The people inside, what was left of them, would never move again on their own. Another hoverbot slid into position nearby, and Detective Daniel Amoke's lean shape winked into being beside her own virtual body. It's Saeed, he asked. For formality's sake, she guessed, and the official record, Amoke knew, or had known Saeed practically since his birth, only a little less time than she had, really. New gave a reluctant nod, caught herself, and then vocalized for the record. I confirm the victim's identity as Saeed Tahir, employed by Sharif Security, her business partner's grandson and practically a brother to her own children. Her virtual form rose as she surveyed the room. Eight other bodies lay across the floor or slumped in their seats. All the victims she could see had been shot in the upper chest. Two had been shot in the head as well. The killer was trained, wanting to be sure of their kills. Blood was everywhere, splattered across the top of the game table, the walls, the carpet, the bodies of the other victims. The great aching emptiness in her chest roared with the urge to vomit. Pull it together. She took a deep breath, sent a silent prayer to the huntress. Guide my eyes and make swift my steps that I may find the killers. Hmm. Steadier now, she looked around the lounge-turned-charnel house. He was on assignment. Bodyguard for the Minister of External Trade, Ida. She peered at each of the victims seated around the card table in turn. She knew Ida's face from the media feeds, but didn't see him among the dead. No, wait. She looked more closely at one of the seated victims, spotting the New Horizon Party emblem embroidered on the left breast of their yellow caftan. She pointed. This is Ida, I think. Emoke's own face stayed impassive. Unofficially, it is, he said. New stood and traced the path between Saeed bodies and Ida's, trying to estimate where the shooter or shooters had stood. Saeed's form lay squarely in the path between Ida's body and where she judged the assassin's position had been. Quick steps brought her to the spot from where death had reached out to encompass everyone within the parlor. Sure enough, Saeed had managed to get him between his charge and his killer. You did your best until the very end, my boy. Cold comfort for us. Hmm. Why can't you identify them officially? She said aloud. 
Why did you need me to come down and ID Saeed in person? Before he could answer, the room faded around her abruptly, replaced by the dark, equipment-packed interior of one of the constabulary's little electric vans. New blinked in her seat, adjusting, the transition from posh club parlor to utilitarian service vehicle catching her by surprise. A young woman in crime scene teen overalls swept the closed network VR trodes from New's temples, then turned to do the same for Imoke, her twist out swinging as her head bobbed. Commissioner's here, boss, the tech said, as she hurriedly stuffed the trodes into a storage cubby. Imoke grimaced. Well, that was quick. He stood up slowly, head ducked to avoid cracking it on the van's roof. They keep making these things smaller. He twisted sideways and hunched down to scoot past the bot rack. This crate's nearly as old as you are, Sergeant, the tech quipped as she called up an augmented reality window that shimmered between herself and New, mm-hmm. studied it briefly, and then waved it away. The young woman flicked her fingers, red-painted fingernails shining <clears throat> for a moment in the glow of the VR system lights. The rear door clicked as the lock disengaged. Emoki pushed it open, flooding the van with light, and stepped out. He turned and offered New his arm to steady herself as she stepped forth. Nodding her thanks, she wrapped her right hand around it as she clambered out of the van, feeling the firm, wiry muscles inside his tunic sleeve. He was still a fit man for all that he was her age, 64 standard, with the lean build of a football goalie he'd been in his youth. Their youth, really. Hmm. His shoulders were broad and muscular without being thick. A close-cropped fuzz of hair, perhaps a quarter centimeter long, graying now, topped his long, narrow face with its slightly crooked nose, broken decades ago. You've had to be a real flaming bucket of shit, Daniel, you said in a low voice. <laughs> she glanced around, hunting for signs of the commissioner, and released Imoke's arm. Wouldn't want Toy with thinking Daniel and I are banging again. Maybe she could slip away before Commissioner Toy was spotted her. She'd have to call Fatia, her business partner, Saeed's grandmother, right away. The van was parked crosswise in the normally pedestrian-only street, outside the Second Landing Social Club, part of a row of modest five-level buildings sitting in one of the nicer neighborhoods of Alary Station's North Ring. Not that any of the neighborhoods on the station were bad, really. But the movers and players, the heads of the more successful family concerns, government officials of a certain rank, media feed stars, they all tended to cluster around neighborhoods like this one. The district lay a scant block from Abita Park, with its lake and water as ever humans to live near it. The structures on either side of the club were the usual blend of offices, shops, and residences. A normally busy cafe, now cleared of patrons and most staff, sat across the street from the club. Two blocks spinward lay the nearest transit system station. More little vans packed the vehicular alleyway behind the club. Every ambulance in the North Ring but one, Imoke had told her. News eyes tracked along the eternally upsloping street, ticking in the crowd of onlookers, and then up towards the ring's ceiling. North Ring kept daylight during the third shift, so the louvers covering the inner surface of the ring were open, and light reflected by the giant external mirror shone through. She spotted a cluster of people up ring, near the Goan consulate. She zoomed in one of the augmented reality sigils hovering over the mob. One-worlders. Idiots. <laughs> she shook her head in disgust. A political assassination and the first mass murder on the station in decades and the brain-bit buttonheads are protesting the Goans? Goans not even part of the Commonwealth. 
how does picketing their consulate affect the vote? 17 years since the last mass killing, Daniel said. And the first with a projectile weapon in 28. I had to look it up. Hmm. His gaze flicked up towards the distant protest before returning to her. Uh, whether one-worlders are concerned, I just assume they're against all off-worlders, Commonwealth or no. He touched her arm. I'm terribly sorry to have pulled you out here at this hour. Once I realized it was Saeed, though, I thought it best to call you for the identification. Oh, so that I can tell Fathia her grandson is dead instead of you, she thought. Hmm. She'd had her own children late, and her kids had grown up with Saeed and Fari, her sister. Shit, I have to call the kids once I tell Fathia. You took a deep breath and pushed that task off a little longer. You were right to call, she said, looking up at his long, dark face. Still a bucket of flaming shit, she repeated. <laughs> Amoke turned, his attention drawn by a uniformed constable making emphatic, if confusing, hand gestures. It's worse than you know, he said as he took her elbow and turned, trying to steer her towards the front of the van. She shook his hand off and stepped off to match pace with him. Besides Edith, there's another political victim. She ground her teeth at being herded as well as his indirectness. This is why we only sleep together for three months a year, she thought. Hmm. Out with it, man, she said in a clipped tone as they rounded the corner of the van, only to run headlong into Commissioner Toywa and her entourage. Whew. I think that's a weakened break there. That is... That is just fantastic. Uh, oh, thank you. I really, uh, you know, one of the things that really gets me going in a book and that really, like, encourages me in the first chapter is this sense of just everything piling up immediately, stacking up all of these blocks, uh, and knowing that they're all going to fall down, uh, and that was just fantastic. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, one thing when you're when you are starting something with a murder mystery, you know, it, and the book becomes, uh, yeah, it, it, the problems get much bigger. You know, we mm -hmm. wind up that this becomes an interstellar incident, and there's all sorts of other complications going on. Uh, but it makes a really excellent starting point because. It's familiar enough to hook the reader in. It is seems to be what it's working, and it's also as a writer, it's you know the conventions, you know the things that you need to do to start, um, and then from there, uh, I was able to kind of springboard into the rest mm -hmm. of the mess to dive from from this point into the deep end of the pool, right. <laughs> um, which takes a little while, but we we get uh, you know. It, uh, I've said it a couple of places. I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I was a longtime fan of Alistair McLean, the thriller writer mm -hmm. who wrote from the 50s up until the 80s when he died. And his work's really fallen out of favor um, for being one of like the most popular authors ever right. over time. Um, and there's reasons for that. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's cardboard characters, and and uh, certainly not uh, his treatment of women is right not yeah. great. <laughs> you know, just to put it at a minimum. But the idea of kind of this twisty thriller with lots of different threads and more than one uh, antagonist, mm -hmm. that's probably the best way to put it, and, and more than one problem to solve, 
is something that really appeals to me as an author, and it's the kind of story. Yeah, you know, they say to write the stories you want to read, mm-hmm. and um, there aren't as many of these right now as I would like, or at least I've had trouble finding them. Right. Um, you know, I'm sure that they're out there, but uh, and so this was the kind of thing that I was like, I, I think there's room for these kinds of stories, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it, they're not nice in the you know nice things happening people, <laughs> but it's also the idea of I'm also a fan of these competent people working to solve problems mm-hmm. and trying to do the right thing as they understand it, um, which doesn't mean that there's not some moral gray and some people who have become compromised right. along the way and things like that. But that's uh, that's kind of how I'm trying to – that's the, the space I'm, I'm exploring in this book and, and hopefully the next. Yeah. I mean, we love to see some competence porn, so – yeah, that was one of the ways I pitched this was middle-aged women noir competence porn in space. Uh Battlestar Galactica meets the Golden Girls and that, that you know that was kind of the id of the book mm-hmm. for me. Uh I also have to say I love uh you know a couple of months ago we had Karen Osborne on uh pitching yes. engines and uh I love that both of your books start out with uh like vr telepresence or at least the the excerpt that karen read out of engines was that same place and i was just like oh yeah this is a a trope that i love yeah karen and i are pals as you know because we are uh workshop classmates and we live fairly close to each other Mm -hmm. uh the two of us and joe miles are kind of siblings in ink Mm -hmm. uh and uh it's kind of remarkable how our brains will take very similar paths in, in, but yet totally different, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, uh, in fact, the three of us showed up to viable paradise, the workshop where we met, all three of us had written books about engineers (laughs) and they were completely different books. Karen's the first one was architects of memory, Mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, uh, she got published. Uh, mine was a predecessor to, uh, assassin's orbit. And, uh, which has different characters and Joe's had uh, uh, an entirely different book, uh, which was the book that got her representation. Mm -hmm. And we, while we have these kind of overt similarities and Karen and I, you know, our brains will sometimes work in the same fashion and it gets a little scary. Um, And then we'll, but then we'll come at it totally opposite ways because Karen treats her characters in a very different way than I treat mine. Um, uh, Karen's much meaner. <laughs> I mean, to her characters. No, she's a lovely person. She's, she's horrible to her characters. Wonderful person, but yes. don't want to be uh, one of her characters. Yes, exactly. That's not a world I'd want to live in. Um or at least not as one of her characters. But the uh you know, we, we go in such different places, because uh, we're trying you know, uh we are are telling different sorts of stories. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool for the to be able to um have those synergies where they pop up, you know, some similarities, but we are taking very different spins on them and taking them into different places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for real. Uh, so, you know, this being a book tour, I have to ask you some mm-hmm. book tour questions, but this being Tales from the Trunk, uh, mm-hmm. I have my own unique spin on them, uh, or at least one of them, and that is... What is your favorite part of this book that you had to toss away? Oh, um, 
there, the, the favorite part that I had to toss away was a throwaway scene in the transition where, uh, you know, the trope of like the bad guys come and this competent, low, low level person, low rank person foils their plot mm-hmm. and uh, bad guys come into a police, a constabulary armory uh, trying to gather weapons and this lowly corporal <laughs> senses something's wrong and utterly foils them in a way that winds up with her capturing all of them. <laughs> and it just, it, it didn't, it was a, it was a really fun scene to write. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I want to, f- I, I saved it, of course, you know, you never, you ever delete things, right. you just toss them into a scrap folder. And uh, at some point, maybe, maybe I can bring her in back if, um, if uh, Rebellion does greenlight a sequel, uh, maybe I'll bring her back. Because uh, she was a fun, snarky character. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but she was a one-time one throw throwaway. Uh, this is a multiple POV story, and one of the problems was that there were just too many points of view mm-hmm. um, uh, for a standalone and for people to get these one-offs. You know, you have to kind of trim things down to, to get stick with the story and it was becoming confusing for some readers mm-hmm. to have to have so many different voices to keep track of other people of course love it you know, right. there, you know there's a reason why some people like the big epic stories game of thrones and wheel of time and all these things yeah you know, the expanse with all the characters um but you gotta you gotta ease people into that mm-hmm. uh, you can't give them 20 main yeah. <laughs> 20 people to follow in the first volume i was gonna say uh the other thing that that reminds me of and you know also when we're talking about uh thrillers with not great representation of women and uh stuff like that is tom clancy books where he'll just throw in a pov that you only see for one chapter or one scene yeah, but because that's the POV that gets the job done there. Yeah, and and that's, there are times when that's the right tool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that that's sometimes. And uh, uh, we were having a conversation on Slack uh, a few weeks ago uh, with another writer. It was Chelsea Polk, actually, mm-hmm. who was CL Polk, uh, was kind of struggling with who to show, and you know. Who has the best view of the events? Mm-hmm. And it might not be a person who's really doing anything in, in that scene. They're present, but they happen to have the best view. Um, and, and some other authors that do this, I I tried it in this book, um, and it didn't work as well for the beta readers. But I had a couple scenes that were done in kind of this third-person omniscient. Oh, uh-huh. Um, for some of the uh, the space battles. Spoiler alert, there are space battles <laughs> in this book. Um that uh yeah and, and so i kind of pull back and was telling them kind of in uh you know if you if you've seen like the big battles in Battlestar Galactica mm-hmm. where especially like the one in um Exodus where you have the Adama maneuver and Pegasus comes to the rescue and all of that like you know pull back and tell that from a third person perspective kind of mm-hmm. um that was kind of what I was going for. And it worked for some people, but, but didn't for most. Um, so, yeah, POV is uh, our, our friend Susan Tatel is somebody who uh, told me long ago, POV fixes a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, a, it's a knowing whose voice you need to or whose viewpoint you need to show this particular moment from. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, 
you know, sometimes just flipping whose whose eyes you're seeing the action through makes all the difference. Yeah. Yeah, that is uh, that is a super good point. And I'm also excited to like get to introduce more people through the show notes and through you're just name dropping her to Susan because her <laughs> stories are fantastic. Oh yes, uh, uh, Susan is our uh, another friend of ours, and she's primarily uh, she has a lot of short fiction that's out, and uh, uh, she, her stuff is just delightful. Yeah, she's been killing it. And she has just such this, this wonderful viewpoint also, you know, talking about people who have a different voice and a different authorial voice mm-hmm. and a different authorial tone. And uh, I've beta read some of her stories and it's always, they're always terrific rides. Yeah. Uh, so now that we know about your favorite part that didn't make it in uh, mm-hmm. and without giving away too much, what would you say is your favorite or one of your favorite parts that you do get to show readers? Yeah, so uh, New Okareki, who is one of the three main characters in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are three main point of view characters. Two are in their 60s, one is in her 40s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's one of the things that makes it a little different. Um, there's a scene where New and her partner apprehend some people, and there's a moment where the one person's incapacitated and she shoots him with her stunner anyway, just to make sure that he's going to stay down. <laughs> and that's, you know, that that's pretty much the way she operates. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is, she is an older woman who, you know, look upon the barren field where her fucks do not grow. <laughs> uh, and she has no time for the nonsense. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, she, she is somebody who, you know, rule one, always double tap, yeah. uh, you know, would be right there in her. Uh, way to go. There's another lovely moment where she is um, in, this happens fairly early, so it's not really a spoiler, but she and her partner visit uh, the lair of a of an organized crime boss, and the, the boss's uh, bodyguard, or, you know, Flunky is, like, making fun of her ridiculously oversized weapon, and she <laughs> says, size matters, I've always found. And He's like, oh, that's what I tell my man. She's like, well, enjoy it. Well, it works. Still works, sweetie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she was so much fun to write. That's and and she was a character. She was not in the first draft Uh, initially. She was not a viewpoint character. She actually, uh, I needed to write. There's another character or her partner who she was originally supposed to be kind of a mentor figure, and the other character was the point of view character. Mm And I created her because originally there was another person and I I had written this person out of the scene. They were elsewhere. And I was like, oh, I need to create somebody. (laughs) So I did. And she just shoved her way into (laughs) the book. And in many ways, a large part of it became her story. That's fantastic. Uh, It is, you know, it's sometimes frustrating when a character just asserts themselves so firmly in a story but there are times when you you know you learn to just let it happen because you have to be open for these things uh, when when noir betty white space detective comes into your brain and says this is mine to do now mm-hmm. you you should listen and let noir betty white space, space detective um come in and and uh yeah uh, and have her way yeah absolutely uh, I'm, I'm still so thrilled that uh, that this pitch is now this book, and that this book is going to be in people's hands in 
just a few weeks. It's so yeah, exciting. It, it is. Um, it's uh, it's definitely getting real. The audiobook is being recorded as we speak. It'll come out a couple of weeks after uh, as a um, uh, very wonderful British actress is oh, going fantastic. to be doing their recording, uh, uh, a black uh, actress, uh, because most of the people in this book are from... Uh, or of African ancestry, although very, very mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a thing that is mentioned is that the, the 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 leaving of Earth is called in some places. Part of it is called the Great Scramble. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, you know, people get kind of tossed around. But uh, it, it's been interesting. I, I've had a little bit of work back and forth with uh, not directly, but through the uh, my editor and and the audio team of you know pronunciations and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, having to write up kind of a guide of where you know. This is what these people sounded like in my head. Right. You know, Imoki, I, you know, my note is, sounds like older Idris Elba. Um, and uh, they uh, were very appreciative of that. And so I'm very much looking forward to hearing what uh, she uh, uh, what she does with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be fantastic. Listeners, be sure to pre-order this book. Assassin's Orbit comes out on the 20th of this month. Uh, we are recording this in late June, but uh, this will be releasing in early July. So uh, get this book in your pre-orders now from wherever you get books. Uh, John, thank you again so, so much. Uh, before we get going, where can our listeners find you online? Yes, so my uh, infrequently updated website uh, is aetherwatch.com, uh, A-E. T-H-E-R-W-A-T-C-H, which is a domain name I've held for many, many years, <laughs> uh, back when I was thinking of doing uh, information security consulting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it lended itself into, um, uh, it's basically become my parking spot. Fantastic. Uh, and then I'm I am on uh, Twitter as at Old Scout, and uh, those are the best places to find me. Fabulous. Uh, well, as always, listeners, uh, links will be in the show notes. Uh is there anything else that you are excited to tell us about, John? Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier on uh, that the Skies of Wonder anthology, <laughs> which was just a fun project we and a number of our friends did. The, uh, we had the idea of, like, what do we do in anthology? Yeah. Airship pirate wizards. And uh, that was just a blast. It's just this tiny little fun volume of 13 stories Mm -hmm. uh, which is available on uh, in the usual places although not in audio um, because we self-funded it yeah you know my 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 joke is that someday when you know 15 years from now when all these people are famous uh, completionists will go seeking it out right Uh, there's no story of mine in there but uh, I was uh, you know kind of Led, herded the cats yep. uh, for the and my co-editors Joe Miles and Mary Agner did did phenomenal work too. Um, also, you mentioned Karen Osborne's wonderful trilogy mm-hmm. uh, or, or duology rather, uh, Architects of Memory and uh, Engines of Oblivion. That's great. It's and, so good. Uh, I, I'm sharing a book birthday with Matt Wallace. Oh, fantastic! Uh, his second book in his. Uh, Savage Legion series. Savage Legion was the first that came out last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and Savage Bounty, the sequel, comes out on July 20th. And oh, so that's that is, super exciting. Yeah, and Matt, Matt's a terrific guy, and his he's an excellent writer, uh, and these books are fantastic. And 
you know, subverting and flipping a lot of tropes that we look at in epic fantasy mm-hmm. and, and doing it in a really thoughtful way. And uh, I strongly encourage people to pick up Savage Legion and Savage Bounty. They're really great books. Fantastic. Well, again, links in the show notes. John, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on here. Uh, I'm so looking forward to Assassin's Orbit. I hope, I'm sure that all of our listeners are now looking forward to it as well, if they weren't before, uh, and just excited for what comes next. Thank you so much for having me, Hillary. Absolutely. It's been really fun. Uh, listeners, stick around in two weeks when our guest will be L.D. Lewis. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Ryan Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at trunkcast, and I tweet at hbbisniaks. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. Reject.